The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Here's my question for you tonight. What do you do when you get that call? You know, you know the call that if you, if you have any kind of call screening, you probably don't pick up. It's the call of somebody who is uh, uh, hoping to ask you for something. I got one of those calls. Probably a lot of you got at this call, especially with the election season. Uh, Obama personally called me just to say he needed a few things. Uh, a little rude. I tried to ask how he was doing. Now the kids were just kept talking over me. I don't know what it was, but but uh, you know the, the call, the call that you know of somebody that probably you don't know at all, somebody uh, you have no connection with, but they uh, they need something from you right away. I uh, when we lived in Canada, up in Vancouver, BC. Uh, I, we have never experienced, Shannon and I, more calls for good causes than, than when we were in Canada. It's amazing. I mean, it was like 10 times what we've ever experienced down here. We got on some kind of list. I don't know what it was. And they just passed it to everybody they possibly, you know, people down on Robson Street in Vancouver go, call these people. They're good. I don't know. We get calls all the time. So Shannon gets this call. She picks up and, and immediately, right, the, the, the person starts in and they, they start, uh, and with their, their spiel about some uh, particular cause that they that they needed money for, and and but Shannon, you know, you normally checks out, tried to be nice, just thought, well, I'll just listen to him, let, let him do the thing. But she's like, I think I recognize that person. What? I mean, the person. The thing is, they had a really distinct accent. It was uh, a, a real, uh, almost like a gangster kind of mafia gangster. It was a heavy Greek accent. And the thing is, we knew a guy with a really heavy Greek accent who had just come over from Greece. He, we met him in, a, in our Alpha class at church. And, and suddenly she, she just thought, she said, hey, wait, wait, was it, is this Mike? And he was like, uh, is it Shannon? <laughs> Shannon Epps? Yeah, Mike, it's, it's Shannon Epps. Shannon! I mean, it was like big fat Greek Wenny, right? In one word. Shut up! This is great. She's like, Mike, I can't believe it. Because, you know, he's just his, it's just kind of robocalls, right? It's just kind of going down through the list. He didn't even notice. He just started in on his, on his spiel. And so they're like, I can't believe it. I can't, how did, how did in the world does this ever happen? And they were laughing and it, and it died down. He goes, so you want to make a donation? No. No, Mike. We don't. But I'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> Anyways, we went on. Well, I got one of these calls and, and we were, you know, we're in seminary. And so we, you know, it was a time when we were really busy. Uh, it was a time when you didn't have a lot of money. Um, we were pretty tight, and, and um, uh, if there was ever a time to be able to justify uh, not giving, it was certainly, I was up there, man, I was giving all my money to the seminary for the Lord, right? So I don't need to give, but we had kind of challenged ourselves to give and what, give what we could, and, and uh, it was a pinch for us, and so uh, it set in, but so I picked up, and immediately the guy starts launching in on something, I'm like, oh. You know, I, we really, we can't really afford it, and it's not because we don't want to. It's, we're already committed in other places, and, he, and he's launching it. And it ends up being that it was, the fi- it was the firemen. And let me tell you, the firemen in Canada, say what you want about Canada, the firemen are tenacious. They're, I mean, he was going for it, and, it, and he starts going into his pitch, and, and, you know, something for the blind children. And I'm like, I got, you know, I like blind children, but I just don't. You know, so I, I, I want to be gracious, you know, and it's a good cause, and so I... I, uh, oh, you guys are making me, I feel the love right now. That's nice. Thank you. Um, you know, so I, I let him go through the thing and I, and I'm getting ready with my suit. Hey, look, uh, it sounds like a great cause. We just, we really can't do it right now. We've got our giving committed to other places. Well, this is a fireman, right? So firemen are, are, are people who are, who are trained to run into burning buildings. 
they're not going to get put off by, you know, some kind of nice comment. I can't afford it or we can't do it. So he's like, he immediately comes right back at me and he goes, really? You can't afford it? So I'm at that point. I'm suddenly, I'm like, wait, I should be off the phone with you by now. You should have hung up by now. And so I don't really know what to do. And, 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 and I go, yeah, I'm sorry. We just, you know, I tried to be nice. We're, yeah, I can't, you know, we're giving, you know, some, going somewhere else. We can't really do it right now. And he goes, he, he, you know, he's a fireman. He's bold. He goes right in. He goes, really? You don't have 20 bucks for a blind kid? Mm. <laughs> so decision point, right? This is the moment where you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen? Because whatever's happening, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go a couple of ways. I mean, right now, I could either get guilted or shamed into this, and I could cower. I could hang up. So I'm sitting there, I'm going, what do I do? And, and, and I'm also annoyed because I, just, I have stuff to do. I don't want to be on the phone. I'm busy. I'm, you know, I'm way behind on, on schoolwork. I've got to keep going. So I just thought, you know, let's just play this out. Let's go with it. So I go, yeah, you know, uh, I don't have 20 bucks uh, for a blind kid because I'm a selfish SOB. Cold-hearted. Let's just call it what it is. That's what you're saying I am, so let's just call it what it is. And he unfazed. He just came right back. He's like, hey, whatever works for you. Yep, it's working great. I'm cold-hearted. See ya. Click. <laughs> Hung up the phone. I just thought, unbelievable. What are you, you going to do? I might as well go with it. But it's, it's a lot of us feel that way, right? I was blanket. Do I do I hate do I hate blind children? I want to say very clearly, no. I love blind children. And yet, at that moment, I did not want to give, and it felt like just another call on me, in which I felt like I began to resist. And it might feel like apparently it worked for me, but it's one of those things that I think it works for a lot of us. It works for us basically uh, uh, as Americans. I mean, in some ways we're incredibly generous. Uh, in some ways it, uh, it seems like there's something that's missing there as well. And it comes up with giving. And, and I just thought, you know, I'd be happy if five people showed up tonight if they saw what we were talking about. Giving. Nobody wants to talk about giving. Because it feels like so often it's laden with a sense of, uh, uh, of burden and, and guilt. But, you know, it's interesting. There's all kinds of stats. I don't have to, I'm not going to go into lots of it, but all kinds of stats. How much do Americans give, just in, in, on the whole, and especially those outside the church? 1%. Now, there's some people that are way more than that, but if you kind of aggregate out 1%, that's what the giving is. And we're not talking just to churches. Of course, people who don't go to church aren't going to give to churches. We're talking just nonprofits, 1%. Well, churches, I mean, churches and Christians, uh, you'll be happy to know, are way better. We're way better than all those people out there. We give 3%, which is, I think, double, if I know my math right, right? We give upwards of, of, of 3%. And there's lots of reasons why I think we resist. I mean, certainly all the reasons that I talked about, we, you know, we resist. You know, we feel pressured, we feel manipulated, we feel like it, we feel guilty. Um, what's true is that it's more expensive than ever before to live. I mean, just basic living expenses are going through, are going through the roof, and it's hard. I mean, the, the American dream of being able to buy a home, I know this distinctly well. You, you could be able to get a home, it would be expensive, it would be a stretch. It's pretty much impossible, especially when you start talking about a place uh, like Seattle. Uh, some of us distrust institutions or we distrust organizations. Uh, we've seen bad examples of money being taken and abused. Uh, sometimes we don't even know that there's a need or we just maybe even assume that you know, somebody else has got it, somebody else is taking care of it. Don't we pay taxes? Uh, that's what, that's, we don't, there isn't a need. Somebody else is going is to be able to take care of it. Perhaps 
you know, and I think this is true, is that those numbers don't reflect all kinds of, of gifts and resources and, and generosity that, that isn't necessarily uh, reported. One thing, though, for sure, is that giving is not about money. It's not about wealth. It's not about status. It's not about security. In fact, it's probably the reverse. See, the people that are the most generous, and this is, uh, this is, you can find all kinds of, of stats on this, are those people who tend to be the poorest. So, for instance, Christians, and we're just talking Christians, Christians who earn around $12,000 give around 7%, and then it plummets. And then it doesn't come up until people are making over $90,000 and above. So either the, the very rich start giving a little bit more, or, or the people who are, who are very poor. In fact, it's, it's the poorest that again and again seem to, to be able, or at least want to, give the most. The people who seem like they can't afford it are often, across the board, the most generous, at least in America. So there's something that, that is going on, because it's not about if we have lots of money. And that, that you can, and as we're talking about gifts, that, that, that somehow you have to make a lot of money to have the gift of, of generosity. Um, what, if, can we bring up that image if we have? I, I had mentioned a, an image that got in there. Um, it was, yeah, that, the diagram. It's the image of, as we think about gifts, as we think about how do they begin to work together. Well, the, the, the gift of giving in particular is something that is incredibly important. It's incredibly valuable. And all these gifts, as we think about them, I want to encourage three different lenses for us. And, and the first lens is what does it look like for the church to, to begin, to, to, begin to, to give praise to God, to demonstrate mercy in a wholehearted way, not just with our mind, not just with our mouth, not just with our worship, but with, with all of the gifts, these very, very uh, uh, basic kind of earthy gifts. Well, one of the things is giving, giving can play an incredible role. Some of you know that. Some of you have been recipients of giving that, that have made things happen that you never, never would have been possible before. Giving and, and making resources available, not just money, but making resources available can change somebody's life, can encourage people in an amazing way, can tangibly demonstrate the mercy of God powerfully. It's an important, important gift. Uh, I have a friend who has this gift, and, and some of you probably have met him throughout the years. He has been an unbelievable encouragement for me uh, uh, throughout the years. Um, in fact, he's made a lot of things happen at Convergence that wouldn't have been able to happen otherwise. And, and he, he is just unbelievably generous with, with the things that he has and the resources he has. And so he's made things happen um, that we wouldn't have been able to afford. And he's incredibly generous with a lot of other groups, too. He's encouraged a lot of individuals, a lot of pastors. He's got a lot of ministries um, in particular. Amazing guy. Um, and this is the, the, the line, as I was thinking about him, and, and he has this, this one line that comes up again and again. He goes, listen, I'm just so excited about what you're doing, what God is doing among you, and I just want to help out however I can. I mean, there are times when I almost want to go, stop asking me that, stop saying that. Okay, I don't know, I don't know. But he's always, I'm so excited about what you're doing, what God is doing in and through you, and, and, and what God is going on in Convergence. I just want to help out however I can. You just let me know. That line, that one line, helps us begin to, to, to get a picture into what this gift could actually be about, how this gift could actually be powerful, how it could move beyond guilt, how it could move beyond a sense of shame, a sense of obligation, to a sense of joy and power. See, is he called to do other things? Yes. Is he called to use other gifts? Yes. Has he done other things? Yes. And yet, 
he has unbelievable joy in just making resources available. So as we've thought about, you know, with that diagram, you know, I want us to think about what does it look like for the church to bring all the gifts to bear? What does it look like for us to have a holistic faith in which we are honoring God with everything we have? And then in particular, what is the, the gift that pops out? We'll have two or three that pop out and we just go, this is a place, like my friend, where I get particular joy. Where my best, I, I could sit, I could do a bunch of other things, I could use a bunch of other gifts, encouraging, mercy, serving. I could do all these other things and it's valuable and, and he does. And yet, the place where he has the greatest influence, the greatest impact is in this, this area of giving. What this line also helps us understand, and, and, and there's a lot packed into that. I'm excited about what God is doing. I want to do whatever I can to help out with that. Is it begins to help us see that this is not just something that is for others. It's something that is for us. Because the gift of giving primarily, just like a lot of these gifts, but especially the gift of giving, moves us from a place of isolation into a place of connection. That's where it finally comes down. Isolation to connection. So we're going to look at a a section in in Matthew that will help us unpack this a little bit in a moment. Let me just pray before we do. Lord, thank you so much um, for tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for um, the words that uh, you gave Paul to write to this uh, church in, in Rome so many years ago for how your Holy Spirit was uh, at work in and through Paul to write these words that have had impact in, on generations and after generation of people. Lord, thank you for the text we're going to look at in Matthew and, and, and how it opens our eyes to uh, a whole level of experiencing uh, your love that um, so many of us miss. Lord, as we talk about giving, and a lot of us have so many bad experiences oftentimes, and, uh, and it's misunderstood. Lord, would you help us to just to have an open hand, an open heart, to be able to hear what it is that you are, are saying to us individually, that you're saying to us, not that I'm saying, but that you're saying. Lord, lead us, Lord, whatever our gifts are, to a place where we can engage them uh, for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 14, uh, beginning in verse 13. If you want to open your Bible, we'll also have it up on the screen behind. And, and uh, it, it is uh, the feeding of the 5,000. It, it's a... Uh, it, I thought, you know, we could go a million ways with this, but I just want to focus on one short little snippet, one little story, one little narrative. And, and what's interesting about this is that I, I believe, this is what I, I was reading one of the commentaries, and I didn't get a chance to go back until I go into to double check it, but this is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels, or at least one of them. It's interesting. All the gospel writers, they're all talking about Jesus, but they're all trying to say, we need to communicate something really important for the people that I'm writing this letter to. Uh, we need to communicate something about Jesus. And so there's, there's a little bit of a slant, which is why it's so great that we have all the four gospels, because what we do is we get a whole picture of who Jesus is. They can't say everything. They're not going to write dry history. That's not important. They need to say something to the people that they're writing. So when we pull all the Gospels together, we begin to get this holistic, uh, rich view of who Jesus is. But every single one of them said, we got to have this. we got to have uh, this in. And so what I want to do is I want us to be able to work through this and then begin to see how, how giving moves us from a place of isolation into connection. So beginning in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The first place, the first thing it does is that giving, and indeed everything, just like it begins with mercy, just like this series begins with mercy, it, none of this makes sense unless we have a view of God's mercy. So it begins here. That we, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, here's what he heard that had happened. He had heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been, who had been in prison uh, under King Herod, um, uh, was... Um, uh, beheaded, and he was beheaded in, in such a way that it came out of basically kind of a, a, a kind of a drunken orgy rage, where the, the king got taken advantage of, and because John had said some things that were true, some things that were not popular, and so Herod's wife said, "You know what? John is a pain. I'm going to get rid of him." And so he, she manipulated the king into into killing John the Baptist. Herod didn't want to. He 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 didn't like John the Baptist because it bugged him, but he knew. He's speaking truth. I've got to keep him around. And yet, John the Baptist's head was, um, uh, was taken. Jesus heard of this. It's his cousin. And what does he do? Just like all of us, he goes, I've got to get away. I've got to get alone. I've got to go to a solitary place. I've got to mourn. He, he's broken. He's heartbroken. He wants to be left alone. And yet, right at the moment when he wanted to be left alone, here comes the crushing crowd around him. Just, you can imagine he would be annoyed. Crushing around him, looking for that. And right that, at this moment, Jesus had a choice to make. Should he have been left alone? Of course. Did it make sense that he, he wanted to, to just say, go away? Nobody would blame him. But he had a, a, a choice to make. Annoyance or compassion? See, when we begin, to, to, as we grow in our lives and as we grow in a sense of mercy in what God has done, we'll grow in a sense of compassion. And in what's going to happen, I guarantee it, is that we are going to begin to see the very real needs of people around us. And that is going to lead us into an awkward place where we will be annoyed with the needs and the brokenness of people around us. Guaranteed, you'll be annoyed. And yet, for us, this is a crux point. It's one of these decision points where we have to decide, are we going to retreat and cut ourselves off? Or are we going to be open to the heartbreak of others around us? Before we talk about giving, before we talk about any, any kind of resources or money or anything else that happens in the story, and we know where this is going, we've got to stop here because here's my suspicion. and This, this, is, where, this is where we get stuck. Is that so often... Uh, we get cut off right at this point because we often feel like we are manipulated by people who come up and ask us for money. Now, it's not, let's not just talk about people who call up on the phone. Let's talk about the street population. Let's talk about people who uh, come up and ask us for money. And a lot of times they're doing so with a sense of guilt. They're doing so by trying to make us feel bad. And we feel stuck. And we feel like we cannot say no because then we feel, because we feel bad. They, we have money. They don't. Even if we're poor, we, we're not on the street. So we don't. And so a lot of times what we do is we avoid. Okay, I have to go through this every time I come down here. Because when I come down off of I-5, I pull off the freeway and there's two left turn lanes. Now, the one that I would want to take is the far left turn lane because uh, it just it gets me through faster. I'm not going to get behind people that want to turn left later. And yet, here's what I notice a lot of times, is that you will have people who will stack up. And, and the, there's always somebody asking for money there, just about. 
And, and the smart ones make sure that they're there on Sunday morning because then Christians either are in a good mood or they feel particularly guilty like, oh, I'm going to go worship Jesus. I better be nice to this guy. Okay? They're smart. I mean, you can't blame them. Right? They're in a spot that they need funds for whatever. Whether they, we think that they need it or not, they feel, they feel they need it. But here's the thing. is that, So there's two lanes. Okay? You have someone who's right here who's asking for money. This far lane usually always fills up faster. Now, it's the best lane, but at some point, when you're six, seven, eight cars back, and there's nobody in the, in the lane closest to the curb, what's going on? People are trying to run away and avoid, aren't they? And you can see that. And it's one of those things that has hit me over the years, is for, is for me to begin to go, I do not have to give money to everybody who comes up and asks me for it. That's beside the point. In fact, I want to challenge you to think about not running away from the needs of the world, from your heart being broken, not running away from those who are seeking compassion from you, but actually to move closer to them, which does not mean you give them money. What it means is you give them the gift of dignity. And that if, if this is ever going to move from being something where we feel obligated, where we feel like we're being manipulated out of something, where we're going to, giving is going to become a joy, we have to learn how to begin to start out of a place where this is about giving someone the gift of dignity and humanity. And let me tell you, because I've talked to people who are in vulnerable spots, who are on the street, that one of the biggest gifts you can give them is just to look them in the eye and say hi and smile or wave. Because that person, I mean, you just look and go, I, I have nothing to give you. I do this all the time. Sometimes I have money, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have money and I don't feel like I want to give it. I don't feel, I don't feel led to. What I can always do is look at someone and say hi or say, sorry, I don't have anything or nothing. Or say, just wave. We can always give the gift of dignity. In fact, I want to encourage some of you, if you're curious about this, to talk to Mark. I'm going to call Mark out. He didn't necessarily know that he was going to do this. Because Mark did something brilliant for us. Mark works down at, at our kiosk. And one of the things that UPC, as a large church full of professional people who tend to have money, living in the U District, deals with all the time is this very interaction. Do we keep our doors open? Do we keep our doors closed? Our, our facilities are always um, taken advantage of, and sometimes they're trashed. Now, it's not everybody, but it happens. So what do we do? Do we clamp down? Do we move away? Or do we remain open? And what Mark has done is begin to, to articulate for us, how can we begin to give dignity to every person that comes in and to extend Christian hospitality to everyone that gives in? Here's, so we can say, I'm not going to give you the money that you say that you want. And in the end, they know that. But what I can do is this. I can give you a cup of water. I can give you a safe place to stay. I can give you... So he's begun to articulate this in a way in that, keep, that what it does is it keeps us from running away. It, it helps us to look towards people. The first thing that we need to do is to connect with mercy and connect with compassion. The second thing um, is this. We'll read it as we go on. So as we continue on, as the evening approached... The disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. They do, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, uh, Jesus said. We, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answered. Jesus says, bring them here to me. When we read John, what's fascinating about that is that it goes into a little bit more... Um, uh, the account in John goes into a little bit more detail where, where Philip starts kind of arguing with Jesus. Look, Jesus, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for one 
for everyone to have a single bite. And then, and then what we find out is that, is that the, what they have is actually comes from a little kid. It's a little kid who says, look, I got, I got some fish, I got, I got some bread. Next thing is that what's good, we begin to, to open ourselves up. We're going to then get, um, we're going to then have the opportunity to connect to others, the tangible needs of others. Clearly, these crowds come around and they need something to eat. And so you can see the disciples, and this is what's interesting, is the disciples are really out of line in a lot of ways. I mean, normally, look at, look at a lot of the other interactions with Jesus. Normally, what they do is they would say, Rabbi, they would say, Lord, they, they would come in. But you could just tell, they're just pissed. They're like, Jesus, you're the spiritual guy, but guess what? There's a lot of hungry people here. We've got to get them out of here. So they just come, and they basically start barking orders at Jesus. Look, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, because you're out there healing people. It's getting dark, and we're in a desert. So send them off. But, but here, notice what, what's going on here. Send them away so that they can get food for themselves. You want to talk about the Holy Spirit working amongst us? You want to talk about transformed minds? You want to talk about being people who can go against the, uh, the stream, to people who are not conformed to the values of this world? It is right here, and it's right around this question about what do you think is true and what is possible? Do you believe fundamentally that you are alone and that you are all there is? Are you the only one looking out for your well-being? Are you the only, if anything is ever to get done, are you the only, it, does it all depend on you and what you can do? Here's the thing. If you fundamentally, I don't care if you come to church, I don't care if you read the Bible, I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life, what do you actually believe? And this is where, this is where faith and life get very real very quick when we're talking about, is this something that you just say or is this something you believe? Money and giving brings us into this point and it's a point where we can begin to get freedom or we can miss out on what God has for us. See, if you're alone... What you're going to experience is only as big as your capacity. If it's all up to you, hey, we don't, eight months wages, we don't have enough to be able to feed all these people. Get them out of here. If it's all up to you, your mission and your sense of purpose will only be as large as your ability. And I think we could understand that's pretty small. You're going to experience a faith that does not have a lot of power in it. You're going to have a faith that does not feel like you have anybody backing you up. You're going to say, yeah, God loves me, but I don't honestly believe it. This is where it gets very real. This is also where this community has begun to demonstrate something very different. One of the things that we're doing is we're trying to revision what UPC is called to uh, for, for, the, for the next hundred years is begin to talk about trans- building transformational community because transformation only happens in the context of community. Well, our retreat gave me an opportunity to begin to, to talk about transformational community and put dollars and cents to it. And here's what I mean. There were 13 people that could not afford to go to our retreat, $95. It's a lot of money. Now, we take a loss on it, okay? It doesn't cover all of our expenses. We take a basic loss. It's a deal, and yet I also know it's a lot of money. Thirteen people couldn't do it because they didn't have have jobs. They were in a a tight spot. They wouldn't be able to go. We said, would you be willing to support somebody else, um, even if you can't go? We needed $800. We got far and above that. Amazing, you guys. 
I can't tell you. I actually went to Bruce and I said, Bruce, you want to talk about transformational community? I want to tell you about the people that I get to come alongside who demonstrated that in a powerful way. And here's the thing. Somebody's life, those 13 people's life, just got opened up beyond the limitations of themselves. They're not alone in the world. There's more going on around it. And some of you were pulled into a purpose that was bigger than just self-preservation. Think about this. Why are poor people so happy? I mean, it's one of those funny things that we go on mission trips, right? We always go, gosh, they're so happy. It's, it's amazing. They don't have anything, but they got big smiles on their face. And it's so amazing. It, it, it's, it, I, I, we talk about this all the time, and I think we just got to bring it up and go, why are we so surprised that people who are poor don't have as much as we do are so happy? And why are we then go, why am I so miserable? And yet I seem to have way more than maybe this whole village does. Well, it's because they begin to understand and experience something of what we're talking about here about being connected beyond themselves. A lot of times, I think we romanticize what is it, you know, we go, you know, some poor people in another place in the world, they, they get it better. They're so happy, they know community, and we don't know community. Well, here's, here's the dirty underside of that. You know why? Because they have to depend on each other. They cannot afford to go on their own. They cannot afford to live in the dream, the myth that they are owed anything, that they deserve anything, that they can make it on their own. They have to depend on one another. And what happens is, as they depend on one another, they're opened up to a joy that many of us often miss out. See, Jesus knows that we cannot solve the problems, the world's problems by ourselves, but he's asking that we would move beyond the purpose of self-preservation, to bring simply what you have. This is where we start, we're getting, we're getting a little bit deeper now, and we're getting into this place where so many of us miss out. Because he's asking you, will you let go of protecting the little that you have to experience the provision and the purpose and the power that is, belong, that is beyond you? He is directly asking you, will you resist the conformity of this world that, that is a scarcity model that is based on your own independence to open up to one of abundance where there's a lot more going on besides you? Now, this isn't easy. It's really difficult. Some of you know Paul Moy. Paul, some of you guys know Paul Moy, a few of you. Okay? He's, he used to be around here a lot, and he can't, in part, he can't, be here. He used to help out in our worship bands and stuff. He's become a great friend of mine. We got together yesterday and we were just going to talk. And but I mentioned I was, you know, thinking about this talk. And we got talking about giving. And and one of the things that um, uh, he just said is this is powerful in my life. And, and one of the reasons why he's not here is because he he was promoted a little while ago to be president of his company. And and he's barely trying to keep a company going and his family going and everything and everything else. And yet. Giving for him didn't become important when he, when he got to this place where we would go, yeah, he's got abundance. He began sharing. He said, you know, this is powerful for me because I was at a point years ago, and I asked him if I could share this, and he said, fine. He goes, I was at a point year, years ago where I was doing everything I could to stay ahead, and yet I couldn't. I could not get ahead. I couldn't make the bills. I couldn't do this. And he said, even at one, one point, I had to hide my car in a garage because I was afraid somebody was going to come and take it away and repossess it. And it was at that point when he said, listen, that's when I had to talk about priorities. I had to make some hard decisions about what is it that I really believed. 
You guys, this is Shannon and I. I mentioned Shannon and I. We made a we made a goal. How do we think about giving and giving to a point where it it pushes us, not not because we want to. We like to be in difficult situations, but because we want to remember that not everything that we have is not necessarily ours. We've been in difficult situations, and this is not an easy. We have sat around the table even in the last year and said, you know what? It doesn't seem like we're going to be able to, to, to pull it together. We're, we're falling behind. And you know what would be really easy is to get rid of that number that says giving in our budget. That for us feels big. For other people, it wouldn't, but for us, it feels big. And it's been so challenging for us to then have to sit and go, what, what is it that we actually want to prioritize in our life? It forces us, these questions begin to force us to say, where is our trust and how do we begin to prioritize? What we've had the opportunity to do is not just connect to one another, but also to begin to connect to a mission. And that's what you see Jesus say, look, what do you have? Bring him here. Bring him here, and I want, I want to connect you, I want to invite you to connect in with a mission and a purpose beyond yourself. Well, lastly, we read that he directed the people to sit down on the grass after saying, bring what you have to me. And taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, and then women and children with them. Here's what it comes down to fundamentally. It's connecting to mercy and compassion. It's connecting to others. It's connecting into a, a mission bigger than yourself. And it's finally connecting to God. That what Jesus begins to say is, I want you to begin to live in a place of abundance and with gratitude. And so, look at what Jesus did. He said, look, he took the very little that he had, and he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks. He didn't look around at the great need. He didn't look at the little bit that he had. He looked at, he looked, he looked at what he had, and he said, look, the reality is bigger than what I see in front of me, bigger than the need, bigger than the little bit of resources I have. He looked up to the God that loves him like crazy, and he said, and he gave thanks. And in that moment, it became a discipline, in a sense, and it's a discipline that we're invited into, in which we can say, I'm not alone, I am not forgotten, and it is not all about me. Everything I have is a gift, and my wealth isn't measured by the size of my bank account or the money that I have. It can come and go. I can live with a little, and I can live with a lot. Here's the thing that we have to challenge if we're going to be God's people. We have to challenge the, the, the lie that somehow that we, that we should be able to expect everything that we have, and that somehow it is ours, and it is ours alone. Houses, education, our plate, the fact that we're even born in America... The fact that we have bodies that work, everything we have is a gift from God. He doesn't owe it to us. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. If you can make money because you're, you have a certain set of skills, that's, that's a gift. You didn't get it. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift that he has given to you. And he gave it to you because he, he loves you. We're in a place of incredible privilege. And so instead of feeling like we have to hoard it to ourselves, we can say, God has given us unbelievable gifts. I don't feel bad, by the way, if you, have, if you have all this education, you don't ever take out of this that you should try to be poor and that somehow that is what is most holy. Okay, that's garbage. That, that's the flip side uh, of, of a lot of our wrong thinking. Some of you have been given 
master's education. Some of you are doctors. Some of you have PhDs. That is a gift. That's a wonderful gift. So take it and say, thank you for what you've given me. How can I then uh, begin to, to use it? See, what happens is you can see when people have bought into, even within the church, people have bought into this lie that somehow that I'm immune from difficulties in the world when something happens. You know, somebody dies, you lose a job. The longer I've been around, especially here, I've run into people who, good people who love Jesus, who can't have kids or who have difficulty with kids, or have kids that, that there's some sort of developmental disability with them, or, or their kids who die of cancer side by side brings us into that all the time, or people who, who lose their jobs. Or, or Here's the thing, I could die on the way home. My wife could get cancer tomorrow. They, my family could get in a car accident and die tomorrow. The issue on this is not to be morbid, but the more I don't get morbid, I don't get scared, what I, go, what I have come into, when I begin to hear this, I mourn with people and then I go, Lord, thank you that today I have a home. I have a home. Thank you that today you have given me. I'm I'm filled with gratitude. Thank you that today you have given me a wife. Thank you that today you have given me healthy boys who are total nuggets most of the time. (laughs) But I'm so glad that they're who they are. Nuggets. I love it. I love them. Thank you that I have that. I don't know that I will have that tomorrow, but you, today you have given that to me. You guys, real strength, real faith is not being tied to how much we have or our security or the things around us. It is tied to how much we are loved. And God has poured his mercy upon us long before we, even, we were even alive. He's been faithful to this day and he'll be faithful again. And so every time you give... You put money in the plate, you write a check, you go online, whatever, whatever it is, it's an opportunity for you to shed the fear of isolation and scarcity and live with gratitude and abundance. It's a moment to free yourself from what Jesus said is the God of mammon, stuff, and to connect yourself to the merciful God who's given you good gifts and wants to give you a lot more. It's a moment to declare that this is not mine, this is yours, and you can do with it as you please. I want to challenge you as you think about your giving, to think about investing, and so by taking on the nature of God, to think about giving to those you don't know, to think about investing in, not just in the moment, not just in the need, not when there's an earthquake, not, not when there's a tidal wave, not when there's a, a fire, but to think about investing it in a place that is invested in you. That could be with a kid, a compassion kid. It could be with this church. It could be with this ministry. It could be with another church. I don't actually care. But I want to challenge you to think about investing. And investing in such a way that you go, this is, I don't, I am losing control in this because this is not about me having control. It's about me simply giving back to God. There have been people who have given to me. I want to be able to give to other people. Make a choice. One of the things that, you know, I, I've loved as I sit back and pull back and get to, go to see how UPC has invested for years, that there are people that this ministry is possible because there are people who have never been in this room, who don't eat, would hate the music that we play, who have said it's valuable for us to begin to, to reach out to those in their 20s and 30s. We want to invest in them. There are people that, that have poured hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars over the year into the end. 
They don't necessarily get anything back from it, but they've said, this, we want to be part of something um, bigger. We have an intern house. We bought a house last year. We could have used it for rental income, but now it's a place that can be a blessing for Brenna and for Carly and for Michelle, who's in CFM. Think about investing, whether it's here or someone else. We read that the miracle was is that there was an abundance, that there was more left over. Um, it wasn't just that everybody got a bite. There was more that was left over. There was joy. That only comes, you guys, as, as we begin to, to risk and we begin to say, how do I begin to give? Some of us, it's a, it's a discipline. Some of us, this is our gift. This is what we're great at. We're great at we, Some of us are just good at making money. Don't feel bad about that. Just, just don't put your pride in that. Don't put your... Don't put your um, your identity in the midst of it. What Paul has discovered, Moy, is that he, as he began to, to take the risk and say, I don't think I can afford it, but I'm going to begin to give. He took a small step, but I want to challenge you to think, how can you be generous? How can you take a small step? No one's checking out your bank account, but just think, how can I begin investing in others? How can I begin to, to begin to give and, and to say, God, even if I don't have very much, everything I have is yours. I want to live with gratitude. If it's $10, it's $10. If it's a dollar, it's a dollar. What Paul began to discover is he began to see abundance. His eyes were opened in a new way, and he began to see God provide in ways that, that were amazing, that, that have brought him to the place he's at now. It's not, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is an opportunity simply to have your eyes open because what I've experienced, what Paul's experienced, is, is provision again and again and again that tells us that we are not alone. Which, but it doesn't mean, by the way, that I don't, we don't get on our knees and go, God, you better show up. We're giving to you, and you better show up. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult, that we don't, we don't sacrifice for the sake of others. It doesn't mean that necessarily it always feels like fun. God loving a cheerful giver is uh, misunderstood a lot of times. That's, that, that's used out there. What, he does love a cheerful giver, but a giver who is connected to mercy People, mission, and himself. That's joy. Not people who just feel like it, but people who have chosen to say, my joy is in something else besides what I own and what I have. So there's a couple opportunities in here to do that. Um, I want to put this out. You can, I'm going to let you think about this, but I want to put it before you. One, get connect to the mission of convergence. Whether it's a check or online, here's, here's approximately what we need to come up with, $130,000 a year. This community has never come up with that, although this community has been incredibly generous and has grown in their giving, and I've loved to see that over the years. That's, that's, what, um, that's what the need is. I encourage you to connect with local mission. One, you can take this home, and I encourage you to take this to your youth group. Maybe think about getting some basic supplies, and, and we'll do something with this next week, but this is an opportunity to connect with University Churches, Church's emergency fund, which primarily helps get people into sustainable housing, but also just provides basics for people who are on the street and don't have the things that make them, uh, in a lot of ways, enhance their humanity, make them feel like they're able to get clean, they're able to get cleaned up, basic, basic things. I'm going to use this, by the way, as an opportunity to, to go shopping with my boys and say, let's begin to think about more than just you and the next Ben 10 alien toy you want. Okay. Because right now, all they know is Pokemon. Okay? Sorry. Think about that with your youth group. Yeah. Heather, Heather's our, it's like a, she's our dealer. Anyways, for Pokemon, I love it. 
And there's nothing wrong with Pokemon, but we're trying to open our eyes up. Um, we're going to have opportunity. Their eyes up. Uh, we're going to have opportunities to come up with kind of hampers of things that food stamps can't buy as part of a Advent project. Uh, later on, we'll tell you more information about that. And then international mission, uh, connecting with Haiti. What I love about Haiti is not what we've given down there, but what they've given to us. And the opportunity we have is because we begin to see a sense of compassion, mercy, what's going on in Haiti. The, the challenging place that they're at, begin to connect with them as a community, and specifically the school, is that uh, we want to continue with the kid. The kids essentially here in their offering have built a foundation, a basic foundation for school in Foisan. It's a little town in Haiti. Um, we have the opportunity to build it. It takes about $40,000. You might not feel like you have that. I'm, I'm guessing most of you don't, but perhaps uh, what you have are you could buy some cinder blocks, you could buy some rebar. You could buy some trusses. We're going to ask uh, uh, everyone at UPC to consider giving. Maybe it's something that you want to invite other people into as well. But we have an opportunity to begin to, to get beyond ourselves. We have an opportunity to be able to, to, to leverage the gifts that we have and to begin to experience freedom, and that's my hope for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you have given to us, for your grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't feel any guilt. Uh, I pray that we would feel challenged, though. Lord, I pray that um, uh, perhaps one of the, the biggest idols in our life is the, the idol of money and scarcity. And uh, Lord, we are, we are told to be scared all the time. And so, Lord, I pray that you, that you teach every one of us, including myself in here, how to be responsible with money and use our heads um, to get our priorities right. Um, but to move beyond just whatever feels good in the moment. So that, Lord, so that we can bring priorities to our money and, and use that as worship instead of money or lack thereof running our lives. Lord, I pray for freedom in this room. I pray that you would provide for all that we need. Lord, pray. I thank you for the generosity of this community that I have experienced personally over the, year, over the years, for, for how I saw it at the retreat in particular. Lord, I pray that it's that generosity, not dollar amounts, but generosity, that begins to open people's eyes to a reality bigger than themselves. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen.